Hello, everyone, and welcome to something old and something new. Something a little little fresh for your ears, but something from a from a source you trust. This is Roll Weird. <gasps> What's Roll Weird? <laughs> I I am the one who shouldn't be answering that question. Um, <laughs> the podcast formerly known as Good Neighbors. Yes, yes. R.I.P. Rebrand, baby. I'm a voice that you will very infrequently hear. I am the producer of Roll Weird, formerly Good Neighbors, and I have the privilege of introducing uh, our our weirders, our rollers. We'll figure that out, I'm sure, at oh, some point. I guess we're not neighbors, huh? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I mean, it still could be neighbors, bro. I, 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 I think when we talk about the party, the party is still the good neighbors. Just the podcast uh, has changed its I name. Think they're, I think they're the weirdos now. I do like yeah. that. I do like that. Let's let's run right down the line and get everyone to give a, a give a, a hidey ho. Uh, we have Matt. Hi. We have Anna C. Hi. We have Andy. What's up? We have Soren A. Correa. That's me. And of course, our keeper Leland. Hello, hello. I always wear suits. I swear. Everyone, everyone knows that. Everyone can tell from the tenor of your voice that you are uh, dapper head to toe every session. Yeah. We had that heat wave back in July and it was just like sweat. We were like, Lee, please take it off. <laughs> and they oh, wouldn't. The trap to get me out of my suits. <laughs> you can't get me, son. We are at, uh, I don't want to say the midpoint, but uh, kind of a, a, a breaking point in, in the campaign. We have been on a, a hiatus for a bit as we kind of figure out what's, what's next for uh, the podcast and also these weirdos. Uh, and so we're taking a break to do a little Q&A, which I am, uh, I've been so graciously asked to uh, host here. Ooh. And I think I have a, a, a bit of a, a Q&A up front. What's, uh, what's Roll Weirdos? Or Roll, we are Roll Weird? I'm, I'm, I'm already bastardizing the brand. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a, a new name, a new, uh, it's not a new system or anything. It's uh, we just want to do a little bit of restructuring and kind of how we do things. So we add like video and put things on YouTube, make shorts of things to kind of branch out the way we format our content a little bit. Uh, we got some very, very helpful advice in that good neighbors is very difficult to find. Uh, <laughs> and that can I, I would assume hold us back a little bit. Um, so we're more than happy to kind of switch things around, make ourselves more accessible in the uh, in the field here. And see how well that does. Also, like roll neighbor, roll neighbors, good neighbors. You hear that name? You hear that name? You don't know what it is. If you hear roll weird, you can probably assume dice. You can probably assume something. So we thought we were so clever before. We're like, oh, good neighbors, like the extra name for like fey creatures or what have you. Uh, It's Roll Weird is also the name of an ability in Monster of the Week, which is the game we play. So True. it's, it's kind of got like a, we're weirdos, but also it references the game. Love it. Love to know. Love to hear it. Uh, Every time someone has to roll weird in the game, we put a dollar in the jar and then helps <laughs> Lee buy new suits. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a trap. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I get you guys to buy me new suits. Ignore all the money that I spend on all the other shit. Lee, I'm gonna buy you a jute. It's like jean sort shorts, but for a suit. We must have it. I will not wear it. There's no amount of money you could give me. That's either the most heterosexual thing in the world or the gayest thing in the world, and I can't decide which it is. But it depends it's... on where you are in the country. Yeah. I exist between both worlds. <laughs> Let us open up with a question that everyone can get a hand on. What, if anything, inspired your character choices for this campaign? I don't have any characters here, so <laughs> it can't be me. I mean, I would argue you've got lots and lots of characters. I'm in a white room eating saltines every day. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'll go first. Uh, Lucas was supposed to be like a Shin Megami Tensai type character. For those that don't know, that's uh, the Persona series edgy older cousin. Uh... And instead, I wound up Supernatural Mandark. <laughs> I didn't understand a word of those <laughs> references. Not one. Not a single one. I do enjoy that we all come from pretty, I think, separate areas of like pop culture subcultures. Mm-hmm. So our language does not cross over amazingly. <laughs> do I answer for Quincy or do I answer for... Uh... Shit, who's my new character? Danny. Danny. Do I answer for Quincy or Danny? You made two characters. You 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 give them give them two different answers. Uh Quincy is I don't like time travel typically in stories, and so I wanted to write a character that relied on time travel uh to kind of push myself. Um additionally, they are like one of those conservative gays that like got theirs and is now like F you I'm out. Mm. Um, that was like a lot of the stuff I was, I was thinking about when writing Quincy, I named them Quincy to uh, subtly hint that my backup character was a vampire hunter. I don't even get that in retrospect. <laughs> uh, Quincy's the cowboy who killed Dracula. Oh yeah. Sick. Yeah, yeah, Dracula got killed by a cowboy. I've read any book. Um, yeah, you should read it, it's good. Um, <laughs> Danny is, is uh, I mean, they're a grown-up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. They're a, a middle-aged mutant Ninja Turtle. Um, and that's, that's it, there's nothing that. deeper. It's always It always comes back to the Ninja Turtles on this podcast, <laughs> and I don't know why. Quick diversion. What's your opinion on the last Ronin? I haven't read it. Ah, never mind. So good. Oh, because that's what if they were? That's if all the turtles died, right? Except except one. Yeah. Um. I like. I I remember seeing fan art of that a long time ago, and you didn't know which turtle was the living one because they had all of the masks like Mm -hmm. uh, on tied on the themselves, and like the weapons were broken around them. Mm -hmm. Uh, fun concept. Just like. You know, the first time you read a Superman is evil story, it's like fun and interesting, but like mm-hmm. too much of it is too dark and I don't dig it. For sure. For sure. I'm with you there, but they are making a last Ronin game and it looks sick. That sounds fun. I don't remember where the like 
the car part for <laughs> that was the thing we came up with first. <laughs> well, I knew I wanted to do a ghost first, and then I don't know how I immediately jumped to like you know how in spy movies there's always like a cue or a guy in the van. Well, what if we took it a step further and it was just sort of a ghost in the van? It was, um, but it yeah, was definitely a joke. Where Soren was talking about having a van, it's a high tech spy van, and you said something along the lines of like, "Wait, what if I was the van?" And we all died laughing. And and, and then I dug my heels in and refused to come up with any other ideas. And then you made it like the darkest character ever. <laughs> also, and then it's like the saddest character I've ever played. Well, I think you were like, "Oh, I think I could have a lead in if this is around the time that your character died." And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that'll be fun." Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Jesus, they're so <laughs> I really wanted to be the one who killed Whistler. I really wanted <laughs> Quincy to be the one who murdered Whistler, and that didn't happen. But mm. Quincy's still alive and around. <laughs> true, yeah. I could, it's still on the table. Happen, but... could do it for yeah. real. The clock has not run out on that. <laughs> We're all fair game. I remember like the first time I ever played D D, it was fourth edition. And I had, like, a first-time DM, and they basically at one point made a, like, DM NPC who was kind of there if we, like, weren't getting stuff fast enough or, like, you know, directions or riddles or whatever. And it was, like, a ghost bard who was deeply unhelpful (laughs) other than, like, nudging us and, like, playing music and dicking around. (laughs) And I think that's where part of it came from. Where I was like, I want to be a ghost who really can't do much other than maybe do some problem solving, but is like really busy with like their own thing. I do love the idea of a ghost who's too busy with their own shit to like haunt people. <laughs> I'm working on my unfinished business. <laughs> so what? It's built in. <laughs> That's the premise. For Dale, I think he really originally started where I was like, in the first campaign, I love Cassius. We get to combat. Not a whole lot he could really do. So I like, definitely really wanted to switch that for this one. And build like, a very combat-centric character. That lunch um, room was an MVP. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I'm waiting to bring back that folding chair. I, I'm waiting for my moment. It will not be forgotten. Um, There's always a combat where we have someone who has the literal piss beaten out of them. To the brink of death, and it was usually Cassius. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Cassius was a, a little noodle boy. He was stuffed with straw. <laughs> um, it wasn't enough that Cassius always got hurt. His car also always <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Monsters went out of their way to kick the shit out of his car, which was fair game, to be fair. Uh, um, it was funny, though, because when I, when I guessed it on ending pending, um for the firefly i was kind of thinking about it and i was like you know i feel like a lot of dale definitely took bits from like mal and jane and like kind of put them together in a slightly more like himbo kind of uh skin so i was like it's definitely like the that kind of inspiration in the background but i don't know definitely just was like i want to be useful in combat I feel like the families came up long before Dale really sprung into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you had sent me like a full novel of of like the structure of the families, and then on our way to Andy's wedding, 
we sat down in an Airbnb and just kind of hashed it out for a little while. And I really yeah. enjoyed that. Be like, oh, and there could be this family and this family and this family. And so I have way more lore about them than I think anybody else. I, yeah, it was definitely a concept that was like easy to like really explore. And like, I don't know, it's such a fun concept of all these little families of like specialization. Mm-hmm. That was for sure. Like, yeah, Dale was a different character originally. And then you kind of once we were talking through it became this doofus. And every couple of weeks, Soren would send me a, is this too much? Do I have too much information? And I'd be like, no, it's fine. <laughs> this I have a is tendency good. tendency to overwrite. I don't know if uh, <laughs> you guys have picked up on that or not. <laughs> I, uh, I sent Lee a menu and uh, about how uh, a bunch of like hyper-specific Catholic lore about how St. Nicholas is a vampire. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where you came from, how you sprung into existence. I do know how to what I can get for five dollars at your restaurant, <laughs> and a lot about the uh, Council of Nicaea. But yeah, uh, so the question about uh, characters, variations of that came from both Bill Hannings and Sebastian. Uh, Bill wanted to wish much love to all friends and acquaintance over at Where They May Radio. Love that shout out for Where They May, Bill. Love that. Love that good, good plug. Uh, Speaking of the Queen Anchovies Revenge, uh, what would you order? What would your order be? And uh, maybe if your character's order would be different, what would your character order? Andy, can you real quick pop that menu in the notes here? Yeah, I do not have the mental hard drive to remember all 84. (laughs) Yeah. What I do appreciate is that you post ingredients, so I know there's some that will kill me. Yeah, yeah, I, I put a lot of effort into into this. <laughs> this dietary. Whoever food. asked this, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, this is from Seymour uh, Schmutt. <laughs> there's one that has Manchego in the name, and I can't remember yeah, what it is. I think, uh, yeah. I also liked the Manchego. The enemy of all Manchego, I believe. Enemy it was. Manchego. Yeah. God, if only I knew what the fuck Manchego was. It's cheese. Oh, Manchego's Ooh. good shit. Yeah, it's no, it's good, that one for sure. milk cheese. Mm. Yeah. A lot of Manchego heads in the chat today. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's got uh, Manchego, Capicola, hot peppers, mushrooms, and garlic, and I love every single one of those things. Yeah. So easily that. I think I would go for Flint's treasure chest. A massive <laughs> four-pound stromboli shaped like a chest full of yellow and orange peppers, garlic, onions, mozzarella, gorgonzalo, and pepperoni. And my husband would look at me uh, full of shame <laughs> the entire time I ate it by myself. Gorgonzola in a stromboli is a real choice. Yeah. Don't sound Don't sound grossed out by that, Matt. I'm not grossed out by it. I'm just I saying it, it's... It's a uh, you you are committing to that. That is that is that yeah. is going to be the star of the show. I think I would either eat the black Bellamy's white pie or drink the the Nassau Hello. Mm. I mean, I'd, just... I'd go for the Steed's bonnet pepper calzone. Any anything with hot peppers in it makes me happy. I'm just entranced uh, every time this is sent in the chat. It's like a cheese, garlic, roasted jerk, shrimp, bonnet peppers, onions, traditional Caribbean pepper sauce. Good choice, Matt. I, yeah, I think the, the white pie is the only one that wouldn't kill me. So I have to say, I really enjoy how 
long some of these names are. And sometimes <laughs> how long the names are uh, in proportion to what the menu item is. <laughs> because a pickleback shot is called Jack and Anne or Till They Put Us in the Ground, <laughs> which is so fun <laughs> for a pickleback shot. <laughs> it's so I good. was in character. Uh, Danny, Danny's spirit possessed yeah. me. It's not about experience; it's about vibes. Uh, to to carry on, thank you, of course, to uh, to Seymour Schmutt. Um, to carry on with with learning more about Danny as, as the spirit of Danny uh, consumes you, Andy. Uh, if if we could step in this pool, let's talk about gender. Uh, is Danny non-binary or a trans man? Um, Danny is a trans man. Um, I like the more I thought about Danny, the more that like he's just a really good dude, and all of the like best dudes I know are trans guys. Um, I'm like friends with like a weird amount of trans guys. It's like I'm uh attracting them somehow into my orbit uh and i don't know how that happened but like i'm friends with like 10 trans men and they're all incredible and they're all awesome and they're all super capable um and so i wanted to have like a shithead character who was a trans dude who like isn't just this amazing artist (laughs) overachiever like like just kind of like a, a a burnout not good at shit trans guy because all the trans men I know are incredible. Um, That's the weirdest homage I've ever heard. <laughs> and then, but like he he is good at like Danny. Danny is kind of useless and bad at things, but he is really good at two things, and that's making pizza and killing vampires. And um, I don't know. All the trans guys I know are good at everything, so I was like, I'm gonna have a trans guy who. Sucks at a lot of stuff and is really good at two things. Um, and then just like Quincy should have been he him, but I didn't want to deal with being gendered that way, even like on a podcast. Uh, and like mm. Quincy was already kind of distasteful for me to play, but like it's tough to play a villain, even one you know, is yeah, gonna, like switch out. I play um, one every day, baby. and just like I didn't want to be he him while playing that character, uh, mm-hmm. but like. The character works better as a guy, I think. Um, they have a so capitalistic Dan- nature that fits that. Yeah, Danny Danny was kind of also my response to that and like being more comfortable with like playing a he him character by making uh him also like genderqueer. Like made it easier to to do that. Um but yeah, I mean gender's weird and complicated, but that's why like Danny has referenced like being in the Girl Scouts. Danny has referenced like taking tea. Uh, Danny is a trans man. Awesome, very cool, very cool. That that question came from Jack W. Um, and let's cheers, let's, Jack. Yeah, we see you uh, on Twitter sometimes. Oh wait, <laughs> I'm not going to say the name of the new thing. Oh. Yes, we have to. We are obliged to make that joke because we haven't been on the air for a while. Um, <laughs> Whistler and Lucas seem to both be in particularly bad places. Uh, <laughs> Carl, Carl Marx, Carl with a C, Carl Marx uh, oh, would like for uh, the characters, the, the players, to talk about those 
those two characters in the state of minds right now and maybe where they see your arcs going. Well, it's been a hot minute since we've actively played the game. <laughs> but that <laughs> means... I mean, it's never great. We already kind of choked about it. I know Whistler's in, like, bad, bad place. Uh, and I think in the, like, last episode we put out, which was, like, a bunch of pre-written monologues, they're kind of embracing a very poor coping mechanism that I think can be easily mistaken for something noble, which is like, I'm going to put aside all of my feelings and just invest in other people, you know, and kind of like, if I'm too much of a lost cause, I'm going to uplift others. And like, I know that it might kind of feel noble for a minute, but it's not, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, not great, <laughs> but... Whistler is the sort of sad character that I like always gravitate towards when I'm watching a show or reading a book or something. <laughs> I, I really love Whistler. Oh, I'm glad. Because <laughs> they're they're tragic. They're not like mopey. They're like, oh, the universe has kind of conspired against you. A little bit. And like, I don't know, even if they're a little mopey, I think if you're a ghost, I think you kind of <laughs> earned it. I think it's part of the, the deal. You know? Yeah, that is kind of the whole vibe, right? Yeah. It's part of your culture now. <laughs> How about Lucas? <laughs> Lucas is kind of lost in his own addiction uh, to the supernatural forces, as well as afraid of the choices that they've made. Uh, you know, everything was justifiable until the tax man came asking for their payment. And now Lucas is a scared young man who probably has more shame than anything else. I don't know where he's going. <laughs> I mean, he feels like he's becoming more of a good guy because he started out like, I'm ready to shoot someone in the leg now <laughs> uh, <laughs> on, a, on a moment's notice to like standing up for people pretty often. That's fair. That is fair. I, I think that has more to do with my inability to commit to playing shit <laughs> characters. <laughs> Because, like, at the same time, in three separate games I'm playing, I created all these, like, I'm going to play a shit heel character. And one of them turned into a paladin. <laughs> one of them redeemed themselves and self-sack. I cannot be a shit heel for more than 15 minutes without feeling bad. I can't pick the bad choices, uh, dialogue choices in video games. Same. Did, did Quincy turning out to be such... A major villain like help push Lucas oh, at all become yeah. better. You oh, know? Yeah. Uh Quincy was very much like it, uh when we first started playing, Andy like kind of uh pushed for that like mentor-mentee relationship. So I'm like, cool. Parent-child, mentor-mentee, that's the way Lucas views it. And then when Andy fucking <laughs> slapped us in the face. Well, damn. Uh, 
<laughs> Specifically, yeah. <laughs> Dale, Dale is just my actual nightmare. I think I've said that before. I work in IT, so every time Dale's like, I don't get it. I'm just like, <laughs> ah! Uh, but uh, when, when Quincy did that heel turn... I I think it uh it, it worked as a great catalyst for Lucas realizing that the people uh around them are all they really have left. I wanted that Jim Hawkins Long John Silver relationship with Lucas, because I thought it'd be really juicy when the betrayal happens. Um, <laughs> I just thought it'd be really delicious character development for mm-hmm. Matt to like play with. And uh, knowing that Quincy would be recurring if Lee wanted to play with that in the future, I thought it'd be really fun. So mm-hmm. um, like sometimes the rogue with a heart of gold is just a piece of shit and there is no heart of gold. <laughs> yeah. It's always so interesting, like hearing you guys talking about your characters. I feel like you'd have like such insight and like an incredible like external view of how they work. I don't know. It's just like you guys have such incredible wisdom when it comes to like building these characters. It's always so cool hearing you talk about them. Well, let's get let's get you in on this then, Soren, because uh, there's a question here from Scully talking about that smack in the face that Dale took. Um, how Quincy and uh, Dale had a genuine friendship, but Dale took the physical brunt of the betrayal. How is Dale feeling about Quincy? And, uh, you know, there have been talks uh, on the show about what happens if we see Quincy again. Um, what's what are what are Dale's plans? What does Dale feel like is is on the table for seeing Q? I I think Dale's kind of just like. One of those hopeless, like, unreasonably loyal people. I think he makes, like, that that choice to trust even when it doesn't, like, it's when it's a bad choice. And I think he is too stubborn to admit that he got it wrong and that someone might not be redeemable. So I think there is a large part of Dale that still thinks that, like, he can convince Q. Um, and that like he didn't have enough of a chance to like do that. So I think there's a large part of and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like what his response would be to this because he he has part of his whole character um, conflict I've always thought about is like is trust. You know, that's a big, big theme with the Grave Watch is like family and how much you trust them and how much you're willing to do for them without even really getting anything back. And so I think to have Q make that massive betrayal really put pressure on that conflict earlier than I was really ready to deal with it. But I think partially because of that, and because maybe I haven't had as many like blows to his trust from the grave watch themselves. I think he's still in a place where he's trying to give that even when it probably is a bad choice to. We keep, we keep talking about this Quincy guy. Uh, and so, so Andy, and I guess to a lesser extent, Lee, was Quincy's heel turn always on the table? 
Was that always planned to be the case, or was that something that materialized kind of as things went on? I'm sh- I, I'm sure it was always on the table, but was there a point at which I, 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 I want, this is uh, from from Jason a question, but I want to I want to put my own spin on it. Was was there a point where it might not have been where Quincy might not have been such in the same way that June almost bag? didn't or or didn't end up doing it? Yeah, yeah. So like I I allowed June that back door with mm-hmm. the idea of like I I had no expectation for June to end well. My my intention was always for June to become a monster and to be uh, not the big bad, but like a, a, a mini boss to the big bad. Um, in campaign one and like the party just won me over. And so going into campaign two, um, there were a lot of inspirations for Quincy. Like I I mentioned like the long John Silver thing, but I intentionally wanted a character who was, um, pretty, pretty unforgivably evil. Uh, like Quincy's motivations, I think to a degree makes sense. um, and there's a, a logical consistency to how Quincy feels, but like at the core of who Quincy is, they are selfish and that makes it very hard to redeem someone who is selfish. Um, uh, I watched a lot of uh, playthroughs of dragon age three, uh, the trespasser DLC with soulless and like those soulless monologues were something I was listening to a lot while writing Quincy stuff and working on, on Quincy's voice. Um, uh, Quincy's a bad person and they want bad things. So uh, Lee and I were messaging almost after every play, uh, checking in on how we feel in. Are we still thinking arc three? What about this? What about that? Um, the, the fucking um, monologue that I had Lee read and like Lee nailed the voice of like making it more and more sinister. Uh, and it was like mundane shit of like going to the diner and like working out. Um, like we wanted to have the seeds there. So it wouldn't feel out of nowhere, but the, the plan was always, I think the third arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we wanted to use like a certain amount of luck every session and, and, uh, like give the time, give time for everybody to like actually warm up to you rather than like speed into it and, you know, kind of make that betrayal not really worthwhile. And to give my second character time to also get to know the group before mm-hmm. shit got real in the end game. We we definitely didn't want to do a thing where uh, we get a new character like right at the end. Like if you've ever seen the Adventure Zone um, Amnesty, where uh, Clint McElroy gets a new character in the very last arc, very hard to give a shit about him. Yeah. Um. So we were like, it's got to be somewhere in the midway point so that this new character matters by the end. Fun question. Sorry, we keep mm-hmm. talking about Quincy. <clears throat> I mean, Quincy, Quincy's a big part of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. For, for the rest of the cast, like, did you, what was your, like, did you know, I mean, again, we don't got to dwell on, on Quincy too much. Did did anyone else, like, know? And, and did anyone else, like, guess? No. No, I did not guess. In fact, I did not guess so hard that it was to my detriment, because there was definitely a point during that arc where I'm like, Lucas should fight Quincy over this because that's how much Lucas disagrees. But I don't want to ruin Andy's moment with their character. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to let them get away with this stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is responsible play, I would say. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah, there was a lot of bits where where uh, Quincy was really just like ruining our relationship with the Grove. Uh, and it's just this moment of like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, there, there was absolutely a moment where I'm like, Lucas, Lucas should be like trying to fight you over this, but yeah. I want to be a responsible player. Yeah. yeah, just just the confusion. But no, I don't think I don't think anyone else knew that this was always the plan. Um, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, I had, I had so much anxiety when I, when we did the scene where like I pulled my gun on you, like that. I was like so like I don't know. Loved it. What. At this point, I'm like, how can I not have some <laughs> kind of reaction to this? Which is yeah. also responsible play to treat the world as it if it matters. Mm-hmm. You know? But also, like, yeah, it was that same thing of like, I don't want to like step on toes. But it was just like it was definitely anxious. But it was like, I feel like that scene was was necessary and was satisfying. At least when I listened back, I thought so. Because I think there was also <laughs> a lot of like plausible deniability kind of emerging of like how much is quincy maybe a bad person and how much is quincy maybe just fucking crazy (laughs) yeah (laughs) like trashing the car and trying to make it look like animals had broken into it and stuff like Mm -hmm. like like really kind of going full insano mode there in the grove arc and just being like i actually have no idea what's going on with this character yeah I love that it was like a series of like half failures to the point where, ah, fuck it, mind control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a plan you could have done from yeah. the jump. Zero <laughs> percent pisser poo. I forgot June could teleport. I forgot Quincy could mind control people. <laughs> you forgot June had crime powers. Yeah, <laughs> crime powers. June's crime abilities. Holy cash, that in for an RPG, remember? Oh, yes, good. <laughs> we saved um, it up. I don't know if I have anything to add, but yeah, Quincy, Quincy, Quincy's an asshole. Quincy sucks. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, to pivot over to Lee to the keeper seat, uh, yes. talking about like working with Andy to balance out like when things are happening, pacing. You know what? Mm. Uh, a question from a a tired she they. Uh, what's your writing process for these scripted bits? Both the scripted bits, I guess, and also the bits that are that are kind of uh, linked improvisationally with the characters. Uh, mm. They always feel so layered and like they're full of clues, but they also flow so well and are full of vibes. Uh, thank you for saying that. It's very, very kind. You don't have to. Um, uh, I, I know you can't respond to this question, but have you ever played Disco Elysium? I played a ton of that game before starting this campaign. And there's an ability I love called Shivers, where you, for some reason, can hear the spirit of the city, the sad, the, like, cracked thing in the city. And it, it, like, outright, and it's unclear if it's, like, you are unwell and this is how your brain is manifesting something, or there's, like, an actual manifested spirit that's speaking to you. And I won't spoil the ending there. But it's written so poetically, but so earnestly that I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to keep trying that. Got to put that in there somewhere. And so I, every time we're going to start a game, I'm like, OK, at the point that we are at in the trajectory of like what I'm trying to say that the, the road or the journey is doing to them, 
how do I make it feel like it's like a warning from the road? And that's typically what I go for. Whoa. That's fucking cool. It reminds me of like Daredevil text box when like a a very capable Daredevil writer is, is writing Matt Murdock and like the, the text, like at, at the start of the, the story arc of like, this is Matt Murdock and the city is terrible and he has Catholic guilt. And, <laughs> and it's like, oh, like it just puts you in, like mm. gets you ready for it. It's good shit. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. That question asker also asked, how do you balance the exposition exposition with the spookiness? And it sounds like the exposition comes from the spookiness. It is, it is Directly, I would out say. of that. Yeah. Uh, I will say, I do love the way that you, you, uh create exposition as well uh it, 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 it's it is uh simply flawless uh from from the perspective of of my editor seat um uh also for for the gm what are what are some steps this is this is less on the the planning part and more like game management i would say uh mm-hmm. from our good friend Nate the Nate zone uh, what are some steps y'all take as the GM to ensure every PC gets enough attention? These are big personalities we're working with. Um, I mean, I am fortunate enough that when we were recording, there's a timer, uh, <laughs> and I have to. We we split the party really often, more often than one might recommend in a normal play <laughs> game. But we have to move a little bit more at speed to get a lot of the story beats over with because we're, we're it's an auditory medium. If we were playing like a, a, a regular tabletop, I would not do that nearly as much. Um, but uh, you just kind of keep track of like, okay, this one person is off alone and I'm with them for five minutes. Everyone else, their group scene needs to be 15 minutes. They need to each get the amount of screen time that their person got. And you need and, you know, sometimes you're going to mess that up. Sometimes something someone's doing is way more interesting. So you got to kind of hand it to them. But in general, it kind of runs like mathematically like that. Uh, The only time I think really I deviate from that a lot is when like, yeah, it's either a really, really interesting. Or I think that this episode or this arc is about this person. Then I go, okay, every time you're up, you get a little bit more Um, just because there's some I'm seeding things for you for later. But that's like a, a constantly uh, working skill. Any GM should be trying to figure that out all the time because we've everyone who's been at a table has sat there for a full hour while they kind of wait as someone else figures out something that feels really kind of mundane or not necessary to the story. And that's awful. Uh, <laughs> so if you ever think about doing that and you can kind of feel it, especially for your players, like kind of naturally when bored, we'll make jokes about things and kind of pipe up more often and be like, I see what's happening. Switch back, uh, you know. Kind of, you know, read the room. I think that, like, just in general, actual plays are different, are always going to feel different than than regular tabletop gaming, where, like, that sort of, like, side conversation can happen or, or what have you. And I do think that the party in general is very conscious of, like, how much time each of us is taking up. And, you know, Super is it my true. time to, like, speak up now or not? And, like... Mm-hmm. Anna and Matt were talking about how like they wanted to react violently to Quincy, but they didn't want to step on my toes. I feel like if that was a home game, they probably would have just like done it. <laughs> uh, but like we're, we're, we're making a product as well as playing a game. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to like derail the entire episode, and also like, yeah, kind of understand that if we're in the middle of like someone's personal arc, it's kind of like their time to do their thing, uh, and and soak it up. And I think everyone's like pretty uh good about it. I remember during campaign one, we had to like kind of push Matt to like soak up the spotlight more. Yeah. It would get so sheepish, but like, I don't want to take up too much time. And I was like, this is literally like Flint almost died. Like, it's your time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Uh, Early, early on, when Anna and I started playing Monster of the Week, uh, we realized how much of a a switch gets flipped when you start treating the game like it's a movie. Um, And like it kind of clicks in your head how much stuff can kind of flip around and you don't have to always explain everything. You don't have to do any mundane details. You can just say, and it happened, roll through and go to the interesting parts. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, very constructive, especially for actual play. Like I, I've said it before, I, I don't often listen to D&D because it's a lot of like, how does this role work? And if it fails, nothing happens. Whereas in something like Pops of the Week, if this fails, something happens. And that's interesting. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps that like we're playing a game system that supports this kind of a narrative play style. And I think that was a really mm-hmm. smart choice from, I think it was Lee and Anna that originally were the ones that pitched Monster of the Week. I yeah. had never played it. I rolled in with Cassius as a character. That was mundane because I didn't understand how to play the game. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just put something on Facebook. And then Matt, within 12 seconds, said, I want to play. Yeah. Like, fast, like, the moment I hit send, I got a message from Matt. Immediate. And then I turned to Anne and went, hey, do you want to play? Because we live in the same place. And then, you know, everyone trickles in after that. Yeah, because when we first started playing Monster of the Week, just at home with uh, two other people who are not part of the show, we were, like, addicted to it. We played it days (laughs) straight. every day. Yeah, because I think it was like our first kind of taste of not playing a game that was maybe as crunchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, yeah, like when you play around with the idea of like, oh, there's a camera. And when you have a DM that, uh, you know, trusts you and players that are good enough not to metagame who will be like, and we the audience see this and would like seed stuff or show us things that the players don't know. That is so good. And I love that, that is my favorite thing about the style of play, especially when players do it, of like, I know my character doesn't know what's happening, but I think this is happening near me. And I am being like, yeah, that's, that makes total sense to me. I think that's so good. I love this yeah. game. Yeah. It's, good yeah. Game. it's a real good game. Um, and speaking of this game and the future of this game, let's take a look in the past and just <laughs> just make it just just patch up all the all the loose ends as much as we can. Uh Again, from Jason, Jason Myers music. Uh, is this a, continu- a continuation of the same world from campaign one or an alternate world? We know Flint and Steel is a thing in this campaign. Uh, Jason is also asks, is this the same Lucas from campaign one? And, and that's something that's I, I'm not sure of. Is there a Lucas in campaign one that I missed? I, I think they mm-hmm. conflated Lewis and Lucas. Sure. I, I think so, yeah. They're two sure. boys that we make fun of for being young boys. <laughs> and they were both made by Matt. <laughs> oh, no! And they were both, like, in their 20s. So, yeah. like, and not... computer people. Mm-hmm. It's valid. That's fair. 
Yeah. Now I'm confused. But yeah, same what world, though. Like a... Same world, yeah. Yeah, uh, right? it's approximately like 40 years in the future, which is weird to say because we did not give a year uh, previously. Right. And then it was intentional and then included a bunch of modern shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's 40 really? years in the future? Yeah. When the fuck was campaign one? <laughs> exactly. Sort of out of time. It but post- we did yeah. talk about TikTok We're- and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. a lot. So yeah. Yeah. this is the Riverdale universe. So yeah. Sort of- <laughs> I had originally imagined that uh uh it was like um what's it? A series of unfortunate events. Like where it's like, what year is it? You see some weird stuff, and then but also there's some stuff that feels really anachronistic. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, in my brain, this is like 1980s or so. Uh, but there's some stuff that feels way ahead of its time. And then it's not. Uh, and then we jumped around a ton and went, yeah, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> it does not matter. But I imagine this is like a significant jump forward from that time. I remember in campaign one, I thought it was the 90s in the first episode because I made a reference to Triple H the wrestler being like a new up and coming wrestler. I was like, it's the nineties. I'm setting it in the nineties. This is the nineties. But then we did not keep to that. And I was like, no. fuck it. It's modern day. Is um, that why you had a beeper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we've constantly pointed out that time is irrelevant. Well, yeah. 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 Time doesn't matter. I also like, I like the idea that magic would short out technology. Like, to modern technology. So like June carried mm-hmm. a beeper because it was shitty and old enough. But also I thought it was yeah. the 90s when we started playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we still feel retro, but we still we feel like a more modern retro. So like it still has that that sense from campaign one to me where it's like we are present, but we're also yeah. detached from the present. Yeah. June, June is out there as a cryptid somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, and I like I, that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the game kind of relies a lot on having a, a sort of rustic quality to it, which helps because I think if you go really, really, really futurism, uh, then a magic can feel kind of off. Yeah. So we it's not like we don't have that because we have fucking uh, Petey and Lucas, but I think it needs to stay separate from them for a lot of it. So that way we can maintain that distance. And then the like electro magic stuff feels really scary and, and, and weird. Mm. Fucking yeah, I mean, man. Jesus. Yeah. Did anyone guess their real name yet? No. Those <laughs> <laughs> uh, listening, I said Petey's real like Fey Lord name in the game. Oh yeah, I remember that, but I I erased it from my brain because I'm a good player. <laughs> Cap- <laughs> Capitalism. No, but I love that. That. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what's the next question? Capitalism. <laughs> Um, they actually have a question for me. Uh, Theodore, Theodore Bussy. Uh, Fuck. Yeah. I don't think you pronounced that correctly. Uh, well, who, who, I, I went who? to a school with a, a Charles Bussy. Maybe it's a relative. Yeah, I, I will say Shout they don't. The they don't spell it like Bussy. I will. <laughs> I will say that much. Um. Uh. They wanted to ask the editor if there was a moment where they were listening during the edit that took them totally by surprise. Um, obviously, Quincy, uh, totally. W- w- I did not see that coming. Um, even even knowing like 
uh, all of the things that Andy wanted for Quincy and, and, and kind of things we had talked about offline, like still like up until the end of that arc, I was still convinced it was a, a bit like it was, it was a, <laughs> as a ploy um, as I'm, as I'm editing. It's, it's, it's wonderful getting to edit these episodes where I'm just like in my head, like, okay, how do I like work all this out so that it like, you know, is is going to narratively work the best, flow the best, and also listening to what is this, what is a amazing narrative already, and like just reminding myself that oh no, this is not the episode. Like this is not this. I'm not listening to this live. Everyone else has to like. I have to do the work so that more people can hear this. Um, but there are so many moments where I am. I'll like put down my headphones and, and say to my partner, like I am, they are so funny. They are all so funny. They are so good at this. I am so happy to be like working with this team. The, the, like the operation stone coffin, the way that that came together and like was such an, like a, uh, a thrown away idea. And then as soon as someone was like, Operation Stone Coffin. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Actually, that's a great. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> now I love say that. that with that that's with that shit. name. No, yeah, that's actually what we're doing. Congratulations! <laughs> uh, I just I, I love that. I, I was I was going back and forth, and it was it was terrific. Um, and all the stuff with with Whistler, like the the oh. the roller coaster of of. <laughs> what Whistler is, who Whistler is, what Whistler, where Whistler comes from, like all of it is just like, Aww. there's so many points where I've been like, okay, I, I think I understand Whistler. I, I, I've got it all figured out. And then Whistler's like, fuck you. No, you don't. And <laughs> throws some new, throw some new twist in there. Anna's doing such a good job and like slowly peppering those things in so that it doesn't feel like, no, this is just like a new twist. Like it's it's all the same twist. It's just like unraveling in a oh. very slow and and concerted way. Um, and, I, and I've yeah, I, I've I've really like savored those moments uh, as I'm as I'm editing through. I'm gonna put a quick thank you in to Ronnie because when we very early on in the process started recording your neighbors at all, um, um, uh, which of course now roll weird. Ha ha ha. Uh, Ronnie uh, reached out to me like, hey, Lee, can we try to figure out if we can create some sort of structure so that the episodes feel even and balanced every episode is the same amount of time? And I went, yeah, sure, I could do that. I feel like I could space that out. And then we have never done that since. <laughs> so Ronnie very, very patiently for now over 100 episodes has been like, I will time it out. <laughs> I will find the narrative break point here. Uh, it's been very, very kind. We we are uh, I, I I listening to the Adventure Zone, listening to uh, a lot of other podcasts that do have like a, a, a an hour episode ish, and they they end with those buttons. Um, it, early on, it was very much like, "Hey Lee, hey Lee, we're gonna we're gonna get that roll, and we're gonna we're gonna get these like really momentum heavy buttons at the end of forty five minutes or so." Uh, I will. I will say that you have you have done 
uh, a much better effort than you give yourself credit for. Um, mm, thank you. <laughs> over time, it has, it has gone, uh, been, been uh, a, a journey, but it's part of the fun. It's very it's kind of, of you to say. <laughs> it's part of the fun for me. Uh, Andy hears right. so much of this of like Ronnie things, things Ronnie say that sound like this is actually a bad thing, but actually Ronnie <laughs> loves it. Um, I love it. I love finding like the narrative like endpoint for a for a dialogue or for a scene or like making sure same 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 hat of like making sure every player has been able to like shine in a particular episode and you know moving heaven and earth to make that happen within with the format we have it's it's like it's part of the thrill of it for me there is something so rewarding about doing like a four-hour recording session and like at an hour and 45 minutes getting a really dope moment and you punctuate it with a one-liner and then you're thinking to yourself like that's a fucking episode end like Ron- mm. uh, ronnie is going to take that in the edit and add some music like you- yeah they're gonna add in the music and they're gonna add in a sound effect or two and like that was a fucking episode end. and then a month later when that episode drops he's like yes yes ronnie, <laughs> man, <it's your> <laughs> and it's usually the title if you have a one-liner almost universally it's going to be the title of the episode yeah. because yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's all. Lee. I, I I I take no credit for the uh, all of the, uh, the copy and the titles. Those are those are tremendous, and Lee does a great job there. Yeah, so th- those are my m- the the special moments for Ronnie uh, of the team. Um, do any of y'all? So this there's another question here uh, from Feats McCool. Um, is there a scene You're from the party? Again? Don't. Yeah. Can you spell it? What's her name? Oh no! Well, it's 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 very phonetically pronounced. It is not. <laughs> I I will not even begin to do the whole Finn McCool thing. Okay. Um, Feats McCool asks: Is there a scene from the party that made you stop and think about how fucking good your pod is? Oh, I mean, our our interlude, right? Like, I, obviously, we have great moments here and there where we're like. Oh, that was awesome. That was a great bit. Yeah. But walking away from the interlude, the last one we did, is being like, no, every single part of that was great. I was yeah. not a single part of that that I did not like. It was really tight. Uh, Dale versus the vampire. Oof. That was so much fun. I really liked that one. No one will ever get cooler than my fucking job. <laughs> God damn. It's my boy. <laughs> We exploded at that moment. To selfishly brag, the first interlude with Lee reading Quincy's dark stuff, everyone, like being on the call, and like it's such a shame we weren't doing video then, but like everyone was so aghast and upset. And like watching the horror on my friends' faces grow as Lee was reading that. And then like everyone freaked out when that recording session ended and was like screaming and then to do the Danny interlude where everyone was cracking up the whole time and like trying to mute themselves. And like, (laughs) it was just really like, there's not a lot of moments where like, I'm like, damn, I like deserve to be here. I'm like good at this, but like, those were both like, I deserve to fucking be here. I'm good at this. And like, Mm -hmm. you were phenomenal. Like you got the humor, you got the horror, like, your delivery was great. Ronnie, all of your editing, adding in sound effects and music to both those scenes was phenomenal. Um, to talk about like 
other people and not brag about myself. Uh, I mean, like, Whistler is my favorite character. So, like, how Anna has been able to, like, seed and, like, not rush through the reveals has been really cool to, like, watch and spectate. And, like, goddamn, that factory shit was, like... That's been my favorite, I think, for Whistler. So, Mm. so fucking dark. And, like... God damn. Uh, I I love this character to bits and pieces. That was definitely my favorite bit to do just because it's like it's all flashbacks of a character that you know will die and you just get to be ironic the whole time. Mm. It was so They're fun. like it's the start of the rest of my life. <laughs> like, <they're> like <laughs> that's the so Titanic good. movie. Like you, she's a ghost. They're ghosts. You know the iceberg is coming. Like yeah. but you don't know <laughs> when it's going to hit and yeah. yeah it was just god it was it was <laughs> good shit oh thank you i really liked the convention episode i felt like that was like brought so much clarity to like who these people were and it was so fun seeing the whole fucking like um summoning act and then just dealing with the the, i don't know i just had a lot of fun with that i felt like the stakes weren't terribly high but it like it it still felt like there was a lot of incredibly influential choices just because it's like this is going to color how the rest of these people interact and i just really liked how they all fit together i I am really fond of the fact that we started already knowing each other Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that worked really well to our advantage for the second game because I think expository stuff could be kind of slow and, and difficult. Um, so starting everyone knowing each other and then flashing back enables mm-hmm. you to kind of seed in, not seed in, to fill in the gaps of like yeah. how we did this thing and, of course, be ironic as shit. Yeah, that, I think that last interlude is definitely my yeah. some of my favorite stuff. Like, I it think everyone really was just so fucking on it. It was so mm-hmm. good. And, and I can't not think about the like finale of the last campaign like i just that was so neat like everyone really had their bit it was so good Mm. the only part that really stressed me out is when we're basically they're trying to like desperately figure out like a riddle or like like (laughs) what's going on in the weird like vr space with the vision and stuff like that oh yeah there was a moment of real world panic where I'm just like, oh god, Ronnie, you're gonna have to cut this down so much. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, it'd be really kind of interesting on a podcast because I've heard it on podcasts before. Is a lateral thinking puzzle. Oh, oh that's difficult to do. <laughs> definitely editing a lot of it out. It was so. It was still we fun. late at night. We're like, I don't know about y'all, but I'm drinking the entire time we record. Like, it's almost rarely, always a week night. There I'm was some sober during a recording. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. There I was, was high as shit that one time. <gasps> oh yeah! Did you? Oh, yeah, because you were like, "Oh, I'm gonna be method," and then like halfway through, you're like, "Oh no!" Yeah, mistakey. One of those where I'm glad we cut down to two re- two hour recording sessions <laughs> to kind of give you time to steam off. Yeah, yeah. The, the that that riddle uh situation um it just again like the each character like whether it was the computer voice that that lee was was using like really like 
working with the team and getting excited when you were getting warmer and Danny just like totally like the, the level of like actually trying to figure it out and just like completely fucking off was like very well balanced and it yeah it 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 didn't need too much tweaking there were there were there were certainly some tweaks i will say i will say that much. Um, there was a second where we critically i think misheard or misunderstood yeah. immortal versus immortal immortal which is yeah. like a terrible yeah it was the crux of the entire thing <laughs> it was <laughs> we got there we got there yeah. we got there gang <laughs> and it was very unhelpful that dale wasn't there because a significant portion of it was about the great watch that's fine right. would have right. loved to have yeah i would love yeah, to and the vampire slayer was stuck not fighting a vampire <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that's how it goes sometimes uh we have a question here from uh, looks like Spencer D. Do any of you have head cannons or fanfics about characters other than your own? Oh, that's a fun question. Yeah. All of my head cannons are real, so that's no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my head cannon is it long. only has to enter into your into your head, and immediately it is canon. Uh, Cleo and the train conductor, a hundred percent. Happily married somewhere. Let it go. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm like not a fic writer. Uh, I have definitely thought about like more of the post campaign one group and like what have they gotten up to <laughs> post that game and like how frequently do the surviving members like stay in touch and like. What does Christmas look like for them? Because, like, I can't imagine June not visiting uh, Beck and Cassius on, like, Christmas and shit. Uh, and it's it's fun and sad to think about. And, like, do they go and visit Flint's grave? And are they looking in on Lewis and, and stuff like that? So I've, I've definitely done, like, those thought experiments when I'm in my cubicle at work not doing work. Um <laughs> I don't know if those are head cannons, though. I don't know if, if that counts as a head cannon or not. That feels ficky. You know? Yeah, I don't write it down though. I'm I'm not a talented writer. I don't know if I have like straight up head cannons, but I definitely am like very very curious about the Fey world within Campaign Two. Because going mm. off of Campaign One, it was like okay, we know of two dimensions. Effectively, it's like our world and then monster world and now the introduction of like this third crazy out of time hedonistic free-for-all like it's so good and i I just want to know more about all of the people who are there and like what life is like there so i don't know i'm I'm really into that i'm not saying anything okay don't (laughs) andy and i worked out kind of the rules of the thing beforehand and i i quite like where where it sits in our yeah it's really good Mostly because I had to set the rule from the beginning that they are not monsters as we traditionally know them. Because otherwise, I would just be doing the same thing as last time. Um, but yeah. But it's Quite definitely different. like the the thing we've introduced in campaign two that has me the most interested in like what like the cosmology of like the entire kind of universe is. I guess I don't know. It's it's definitely like the thing that we've introduced that it is like the highest of scale. I think and like. 
that's that's just really cool. I'm excited for that. Yeah, it it feels like Whistler and Lucas are like so entwined in some way, and I'm I'm really trying to figure out if that's some larger thing, or if that's just like happenstance, which feels so- like. Someone did clock on accident the overarching thread of the plot, and I was like, ha ha! And then we never talked about it again. Classic D&D group. I'm going to guess <laughs> yeah. every, every detail of your plan and then forget it three seconds later. Yeah. Yeah, they, like, Whistler feels like the potential end for Lucas in my mind. That, like, Lucas is on a pretty fucked up path, and if they keep making these sort of bad and selfish decisions, they're going to end up dead and they're going to end up a weird ghost boy. Um, not that like Whistler did it. anything wrong to end up where and how they did, but like Whistler has not made the healthiest decisions since becoming a ghost. And I feel like no. Lucas is like pretty far along down that like path that he's just still alive. Yeah, that was a fun thing to figure out because I was like, I really want to be a ghost. How do I make this work for the universe that Lee has? So it has to be like, a monster did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a uh, kind of a, a, a fanfic headcanon kind of thing that like doesn't perfectly line up, but um, it, it is... I, 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 much like anyone with, with two eyes, two ears, and a heart, was enamored with Gert and uh, just loved the kind <laughs> of like progression of Gert as, you know, Gert became more, I hate to say human. Uh, <laughs> but like, as, as she was able to be more of a help to Cassius. Um, instead of a hindrance, she gained this level of humanity and this level of like freedom from whatever the whole shtiz was with with her origin. And I, in my head, I, I don't specifically remember what like Gert's like ending was. So, so uh, again, this is this is totally an AU. Um, but in my head, uh, Gert continues to go through all of these changes and and uh metamorphosis and all of these um steps to become something different to reach a higher level of consciousness beyond just like a doll and finally like finds a child who loves her enough to like break her free of that and almost kind of like um I forget the the character's name who has only just been kind of introduced with the Whistler and Walkie Talkie and and the mm. the character who has had to oh, go through Wyatt. a lot of Wyatt, yeah, where like this child kind of like creates an imaginary friend and only knows her as as Dolly, mm. and then Dolly, hearkening back to her days as Gert. And helping tra- uh, Cassius only wants to help those around her to continuously reach this higher level of uh, of power, at, but more of like consciousness and understanding, and then becomes the Dolly that we <laughs> are also terrified of from from campaign two. 
as I was that editing, been smarter it, than what I did. <laughs> as I was editing it, I was like, "Is this fucking Gert? Did, 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 did they bring fucking Gert in here and and just Dolly Dolly Gert?" But that is my personal fanfic. That, yeah. I love that. So much that more Gert. beautiful than I could have written, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I actually also don't remember what happened to Gert. Yeah. I will I will I, say that if you have like headcanons about characters, or if you write a fanfic, or if you draw a fan art, uh if you tag us or send it to us or what have you, I will cry and I will stare <laughs> at it whenever I'm sad. Yeah. And it'll make me very happy. Yeah. I I have to give so much like props to Lee for making so much of Gert's like empathetic and compassionate like arc was all just Lee and it was so brilliant like I could not have it was not in my original intention when I made Cassius and I just I think it was such a smart choice hate Gert anti-Gert Gert's good when when you made Gert I had originally intended for Gert to be more of a menace and become a villain and then you started treating her like your kid and I was like well shit gotta <laughs> pivot that really hard <laughs> I love Gert I love Gert you're the yeah, one Gert. who saw me first Bill you can't you can't that's not a menace that's that's yeah. that's, a, that's a beautiful child that's a threat that's right there keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah because uh, Gert was like supposed to be like on the level that James Pale was like these these are the monsters that could connect to the monsterverse and mm. end humanity. It's like, oh, but what if instead one of them became like a sweet little girl instead? <laughs> girl was so nice. I love Gert. What if one became a sweet little girl and one became a big scary boyfriend? <laughs> and that's and that's good neighbors. <laughs> and that's our show, everyone. <laughs> that's 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 yeah, yeah. I, there there are uh uh, a lot of questions that are based around the idea of what media uh, created these characters, what helped, you know, fuel this. I think we've talked a lot about that. We've sure as hell have talked a lot about Ninja Turtles. Um, Forever. But if there's anything specifically like horror wise, the, 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 the horror elements for me, what I love about it as a non horror fan is that these are not horror characters. They're just, it's, it's, any character in most shows or TV genre things that are posed against a cosmic evil or whatever, that's horror. It's just maybe not written that way. Mm-hmm. And all of the characters I feel like are those characters. And then Lee is like, no, but it's horror and it's, it's <laughs> going to be horrifying. Let me, <laughs> let me assure you. Uh, but if there's any like things about horror that anyone truly finds compelling, um what 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 you know what what brings those things to the table uh at least for this campaign because we're we're doing less of the like eerie spooky stuff it feels a little bit more like and correct me if i'm wrong friends it's it's more about like the horrors of being alive uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's like heavy capitalistic and surveillance style yeah. elements the first uh, yeah. where, like, a natural you, disaster yeah, we're like things that you're kind of expecting in real life to suck because they do. Um, and that when they're pushed to an extreme sci fi horror style, like, yeah, really ticket your brain a little bit. Not in a uh, like, oh, I can't look in the mirror kind of way of like, ah, oh, shit, I've been on my phone a lot today. Should I not do that anymore? Um, <laughs> a lot of the horror that I try and like touch on i mean it's stuff that i find scary so it it tends to be wrapped up in like 
anxieties around identity and sexuality and gender. So like with June, that was all very on the nose um, where like religious trauma and like figuring out who you are as a monster and shit with Quincy. It was like, imagine if you were at a place where you were finally accepted and you felt like you could be the you who you always had locked away and then that was taken away from you, you're shot hundreds of years in the future and shit is still bad. And like queer people are still persecuted and it didn't get any better, but everyone's also congratulating themselves about how open-minded they are now and acting like things are better. And they're not like you would do anything possible to go back to that place. So like, I think there was a lot of horror there. Um, Danny is fine. Danny's doing great. <laughs> uh, Danny, comedy relief. Danny has his shit figured out. He transitioned a long time ago. He had accepting parents who paid for him to go to a an art school where he didn't really work very hard. And uh, he got a degree that he doesn't use anymore. And he makes pizza and he kills vampires. Um, Danny's doing good. Uh, but as far as like the horror that I bring to my characters, like those are also the sort of horror movies I like. I love Rosemary's Babies. I love Midnight Mass. Um, I liked The Lighthouse, which is very queer. Um, you know that sort of shit is what I what I, I go in for. It's so interesting. The I witch. Like that's so in contrast with like the the very like techno body horror that Lucas brings, and I find that so. Interesting. I I feel like Dale isn't as much like a horror character concept, but just like Lucas has such interesting roots there. Lucas is a very upsetting character. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> goddamn. How? Uh, what do you mean, how? How? He took his. <laughs> Oh. Uh, yeah, and like all the hands like ripping away flesh. It's just like so giving like, a yeah. really visceral sense. But it's like it doesn't it very rarely feels like overtly too gory for me, but maybe that's my preference. It just feels like evocative of that sensation and like that mm-hmm. that yeah. I think what so gets I, me oh go ahead. I, I never imagine like it gory ripping off the flesh. I've always imagined like the hands grabbing like a cheek and almost like a pixel being mm. removed from Lucas. Mm, that doesn't make it better. Horrifying. And True. you know, they lose weight afterwards. They're a little more gaunt as more of a taking the actual life force rather than gory. The only really gory thing I've done as Lucas was jab out my own eye. Right. That's what I mean. It's like you have this like way to do this like body horror without it feeling terribly gory. It's just like but you, it still gives you that mm-hmm. sense of like like maybe shock or like yeah like revulsion but like in the coolest way i try to write my characters as like the sort of stories that i like to read or watch and engage with uh lucas is the sort of like horror that is a nightmare and i want to wake up from it right away please like (laughs) like lucas is dealing with whenever we're like on a solo Lucas moment, I'm always just like, oh. <laughs> oh, I, I love the Lucas stuff. And I think my favorite parts are whenever it's like weird, 
chat rooms or like bidding rooms. It's it's how like first of all widespread everything is, mm-hmm. and then how kind of like cavalier and anonymous all yeah. of this like cruelty is, and like that shit is so good. I love that. It's so, it's so much. terrifying how powerful people feel when there's no way you could have any sort of retribution against them. Yeah, that it's is so that, good. That is the one thing that I've tried to like play yeah. towards with Lucas is face to face. He wants to be a good person, but the second you put a screen in front of him and it's 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 now a game. It's their numbers. They're not people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I, great. I love the bidding that. room for that vibe. Exactly of like red texts. People say, "I will kill you," and feel nothing about it. You know. Anna, did you have a horror thing that you wanted to to uh, add? I feel like we've talked a lot about. Whistler. I don't know if I had like a ton of specific horror stuff other than uh, I wasn't thinking of The Last of Us because I never engaged with that until the show with Pedro Pascal came out. But there's definitely lots of like mushroom stuff because I just love mushrooms. I think they're funky and fun. And <laughs> I, I really liked how some of the darkest stuff when you kind of did their flashback was just sort of the horrors of the industrial revolution. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not the monsters. It's like the working conditions and how they would like bolt the doors and how we little they We haven't had care. unions murder a bunch of people yet to give like, us rights. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely more of that kind of human evil. But for the most part, I think that um, uh, uh, Whistler is based more in tragedy and directly as referenced Frankenstein, which again, I think like if you're just mm. reading the core material, isn't really scary so much as it's just deeply sad. Uh, so I think that's really more so their angle than anything else. Yeah. I thought the Frankenstein connection. God, I forgot the Frankenstein <laughs> stuff. Yeah. That was so God, that was so good. That was, yeah, really <laughs> masterful. So good. Thank you. Yeah, I, to, to speak to that, it's like, we already talked about the like out of time nature of campaign one and how there's no finite like date or time. And then campaign two, it's like triangle shirtwaist factory. Oh, no, we are, <laughs> we are very rooted in a historical <laughs> event right now. Yeah. yeah. I will say, uh, Jerry Jarbo is based on two podcasting friends of mine. Uh, Jerry, the cannon junkie and, uh, uh, Scott J. Rowe of the Bombad cast. And if you've ever gone to one of their live streams, the like opening credits and end credits are so upsetting to me um, that like I've guessed it on their streams many times. And it just like you sit through like three to four minutes of like the most upsetting shit possible. And then it's like, and you're on welcome to the live stream. And it's like, no, like what the fuck did we just sit through? What was that? What's wrong with you guys? Um, but they're also just like two of the nicest. They say they're both straight. I don't know how true that is, but not to like, try to weed out my friend's sexuality on a different podcast (laughs) but uh they're like two of the nicest straight boys ever like they're just good dudes they're good allies and so when i was writing danny i was like well i gotta give danny like an ally i gotta give danny like a pal and i was like those are two phenomenal allies and i'm just gonna combine them into one person and like danny's gonna have this really weird kind of fucking bonkers energy about them uh so i was like 
who are two guys that I know that have like bizarre energy and Scotty and Jerry have uh, just like Viva La Bam wild boys ass energy, but they're like in their thirties and they were perfect. So I just like took them and made them uh, a fictional one character. It's if the two of them fucked and had a baby, that's uh, Jerry uh, Jarbo. And um, yeah, I'm going to stop talking about that now. (laughs) Shout out to all the Jarbo heads out there. Jarbo heads. Jarbo's my boy. Watch Bombadcast on Thursdays. It's great. It's fucking weird. Uh, Bonkers shit. But they're they're fantastic at what they do, which is chaos. Hell yeah. I think there's not a better place to end our (laughs) Q&A. Then on a deep dive of Jerry Jarbo. So thank you for that. I think that's great. What's up, everybody? It's like the best character name on the show. It's Jerry Jarbo. Mm-hmm. I do love Jerry Jarbo. Thank you once again to Jason Myers Music, Carl Mark Scully, Jack W. Sebastian, Bill Hannings, Attired She They, Theodore Bussy, Nate. Beats McCool, Spencer D, and Seymour Schmutt for all your questions. Um, we are entering a new era, y'all. We, I am so excited for the roll weird era of this. Are podcast. we just going over Karl Marx writing in? Oh yeah, long time listener for writer Karl Marx. Karl <laughs> with a C. Ouija board, time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> anything else? Anything, Lee? Anything that you you want the the listeners to know moving forward, moving moving into this this new space? Uh, keep your eyes out. Uh, uh, exactly figuring out the platform how we're going to do it. Not quite sure yet, uh, but looking at it uh, real real soon. Uh, we're going to have guests. Uh, so if you want to be on the show uh, when we put the call out there, let us know. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be like one guest per arc because that would be. Uh, pretty difficult to do to add a bunch of people at, at yeah. once. Um, but yeah, we'd uh, we'd love to have some some extra people here to to add to the mix. What's the next monster we're gonna fight? The Gabagool. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, it's all Italian meats coming at you. God. Go birds. Love, love me. <laughs> How dare you gobble my ghoul? Yeah. At some point, a... I don't know if this is a surprise or not. We are going to Philadelphia because uh, I live in Philadelphia, and I got to include Philadelphia in this road trip game. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> it will be very nice uh, listening to Lee describe. A geographical location and actually get like fifty <laughs> percent of it right. Get any <laughs> of it right? Yeah, we had that theme park map. No, that was good. Oh, that God. was very good. That was pretty. I'm gonna good. fight gritty. Oh no, gritty! Don't out my monsters. Ooh, yeah, no, yeah. gritty will fuck all y'all up. Fuck around <laughs> and find out. Go ahead, y'all. Total party white. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. The ghost of that robot dog. Yeah, squatches. Oh, oh, you mean Hitchbot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fucking hitchhiking robot that we murdered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Billy can help Danny kill Santa Claus because they threw all the the ice at him. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. It all comes down to Philly. Love yeah. this terrible city. 
<laughs> Ooh, do I make Philly the last place? Thank mm. you, everyone, for listening. This has been Roll Weird. Ooh. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to do a cool bit or not, but all right, goodbye. Um. Where they may radio. Lee, ah. real quick, I don't see any waveforms next to my name. Is that okay? I see waveform next to your I name. See you see name? Okay, as long as yeah, you do, that's same. good for me. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I thought that was a bit. I thought you were you were goofing up. No, oh <laughs> no, the, <laughs> nope. Just, just like an fun. hour in. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, just. I've been sitting on this for a while. Just wanted to check. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't joke about waveforms. So that, that is my lifeblood. Um, <laughs>